This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Value Inspiration Podcast. My name is Ton Dobber, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration. The purpose of my company is to help business software companies rethink what can be to become remarkable again. The goal that I have in this podcast is to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential that we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. So my strong belief is that we can think big, and therefore we should. And doing so will help to create a better world for all of us. This podcast is all about that. The guest on my podcast today is Vidi Merchandani, author of SAP Nation 3.0. In the last five years, two things have changed. One is SAP has been a product launch machine. I mean, they have launched more products than any other, I would say, technology vendor. The other thing I saw pleasantly with SAP was how much more open they were this time. One of the disappointing things about cloud has been, you know, it's 20 years old now. NetSuite was born in 98, Salesforce was born in 99. But if you do a draw a parade and say, buy global, world region, buy industry, buy business process, only about 20% is filled. So the vendor community hasn't delivered enough. I raised an alarm, I go, "This this is scary guys, after 20 years both the buyers and the vendors are just not moving. Something's not right. This is Vinny. He's the founder of Deal Architect, a technology strategy and negotiation firm listed as the leading boutique by the Black Book of Outsourcing. Vinny also founded iq for hire a project marketplace, and Jetstream Group, a sourcing advisory firm. Early in his career, he had various technology consulting roles at PwC, now IBM, in the US, Europe, and Asia, and he also worked as an industry analyst at Gartner. He wrote various books about the evolution and the future of enterprise software, amongst which Silicon Color, New Polymath, The New Technology Elite, and his latest book is SAP Nation 3.0. And this triggered me to invite Vinny to my podcast again. We explored the big changes in the ERP landscape over the last five years, in particular amongst the big three, SAP, Oracle, and Workday. We also explore why after 20 years of ERP in the cloud, today, there's still not enough traction. By listening to this interview, you will learn four things. Firstly, why it is key for ERP vendors to not just modernize the technology, but modernize the business processes. Secondly, that a big opportunity is virtually untouched, and that is leveraging the biggest benefit of the cloud, data and utilize that to introduce real value shifts. Thirdly, why it is key to wake up and realize it's urgent after 20 years to start moving by standards, i.e. ERP legacy customers. And last but not least, why system integrators should start to apply machine learning and automation to their own business. Stop selling bodies 
and leverage the learnings and the data from millions of CRM and ERP projects to make these projects faster, cheaper, and a lot less risky. So hi Vinny, thank you for being on my podcast again. It's about a year ago and uh, I thought it would be, would be a very good idea to get you back on the show and yeah, discuss with you what has happened. And uh, since you actually are writing your, your next book, SAP Nation 3.0, I thought it would be a good angle to, uh, to start a conversation. So thank you for being there. Well, Tan, first of all, thank you for having me twice in a year. I feel honored. And <laughs> I've been reading all the interviews you've been doing. You've been, you've, been, you've been busy. Yes, I've been busy. And it's for a number of reasons. And one of it is just to, of course, to, uh, to stay abreast what is happening in the industry, which is where I've always been, the, the, best, the, the, the business software industry. Typically, uh, I understand what's happening and what can be. And uh, it's fascinating time, I must say, from all the podcasts that I've been doing. If only 10% of the vendors out there would start doing something like that, the world would be a better place already. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, what interests me, when I, when I was reading the media copy of your book and realizing this is version 3.0, what has been the biggest surprise between writing SAP Nation 1.0 and the one you're writing today? I mean, what is the, what is the difference? Well, so 1.0 came out in 2014, five years ago. Yeah. And back then, I was very worried that SAP, that book focused on the ecosystem. And I built models of the ecosystem, you know, how much Accenture, IBM, end users, you know, all the different human costs in the SAP ecosystem. Yeah. And I built several different models. And the, the lowest one was about $225 billion a year. And I was like, my God, that is that is as big as a country of Ireland. Why, why after the recession has this not slowed down? In mm -hmm. fact, it had accelerated in, in many categories. So I wrote the book from a kind of a, hey world, we'd really need to wake up to this runaway software economy here. And okay. so it came across, you know, it was meant to scare the world about the cost, but SAP and others saw it as my being negative on SAP. It wasn't meant to be negative on SAP, the software. It was, it was more about, look, it's uncontrolled, the integrators, the hosting, the application management, the write-offs, the failures are just out of control. We, yeah. we need to pay a lot more attention here. The good news is after five years, when I wrote this book, I'm seeing customers a lot more cautious. So my book did have an impact. But what, what's more pleasantly positive in this book is in the last five years, two things have changed. One is SAP has been a product launch machine. I mean, they have launched more products than any other, I would say, technology vendor. True. You know, so, so they've launched S4HANA, which is their next generation ERP product. They made several CRM acquisitions, and that's become what they're calling C4HANA. Exactly. But even more importantly, in the Leonardo toolkit they have, a number of machine learning use cases, a number of IoT use cases. They have a cloud platform that uses a lot of open source components. So partners are starting to build new applications on that. And then the old acquisitions they had done, Ariba, SuccessFactors, you know, cloud acquisitions mm -hmm. are starting to mature and, you know, have a lot more customers and so on. 
And by the way, ECC continues and Business One continues. So it's been a remarkable set of products that SAP has. It's almost too much, right? (laughs) The other thing I saw pleasantly with SAP was how much more open they were this time. When I wrote the first book, I gave them many opportunities to, to contribute. And they basically either didn't think I was serious enough to write a book or for whatever reason, they did not collaborate. This time they have been much, much open. So, you know, those two big changes, a lot more product and a lot more openness. So that's been the big change since 2014. Yeah, and I, I have seen that from the sideline. And I'm involved with SAP as well. And uh, but at the time that, that you wrote the book and it came out, it was still, I was still with Unit 4. So indeed, a lot a lot has happened. But what, I, what, it was also, what struck me in the book, uh, I think you made a, a reference to the whole adoption of, of cloud ERP in the marketplace that is currently only at 20% or something like that. So we've actually, all been... actually, maybe even lower. It, I, the 20% I said was one of the disappointing things about cloud has been, you know, it's 20 years old now. NetSuite was born in 98, exactly. was born in 99. But if you do our draw a grid and say, by global world region, by industry, by business process, only about 20% is filled. You know, I mean, Workday cannot do, pay, even its strength is in HCM. But if you ask it to go into Vietnam or Costa Rica or you know, even major markets like Belgium, it cannot support you there, right? Yeah. If you ask Salesforce about capabilities for different industries, they don't have any transaction capabilities there, right? Even Oracle, after all these years, I mean, Oracle has been developing Fusion for 15 years now. Yeah. It's surprising how little Fusion can support. So the vendor community hasn't delivered enough. And on the other hand, the buyer community has been very slow to adopt it. You know, in my view, I have a category in the book that I call bystanders. These are people yeah, exactly. who, these are customers who are you know, sticking with on-premise, ERP, on-premise, business warehouse type stuff, and just aren't moving to any of the cloud solutions. And, uh, you know, I, in the book, I raise an alarm. I go, this is, this is scary, guys. After 20 years, both the buyers and the vendors are just not moving. Something's not right. Yeah, but the question, I mean, I've been looking into this as well. And at some point, I actually wrote a blog about messaging of the ERP vendors. And if I compared what we were writing about in 2000 and the benefits we were communicating and what the market is still communicating about in 2019, it's exactly the same. Better insights, <laughs> more efficiency, better productivity. And we've even been hearing, the, hearing this story for, well, for as long as I've been in ERP, which is over thir- close to 30 years now. So the question at the end is, I mean, who's to blame here? Is it, is it the customers that, that don't move? But I think at the end, it's the reason their customers don't move is because there's nothing really new. I'll give you an example. When, when NetSuite came to market, when Workday came to market, and when Oracle came to market with their, their cloud suites, from my perspective, it was about you know, offering, well, removing the, the pain of on-premise ERP with, with regards to the updates and the upgrades. And, you know, just take, take all of that out of their hands and, and run it as a service. It was not about anything beyond that because in that, in that time and era, like 2005, no one was talking about AI. 
No one was even talking about mobile. Social wasn't even invented at that point in time. So it, the invention was, it's now in the cloud, guys. But if you're running a, a multi-million implementation of, of any vendor, you know, of SAP, of Oracle, of Workday, or whatever, why would you move to, um, well, Workday, of course, they're born in the cloud. But if you're coming from an on-premise solution, why would you move? There's nothing really different. You know, so, Don, you make a very good point. The messaging has evolved. But I would say even the product hasn't evolved, right? Yeah. So one of, the, one of the issues that I hear from customers is I can move some of my stuff to HCM on Workday, and I will, but that's just 3% of what I need, right? Sure. So there isn't enough in the cloud for them to think about, you know, major chunks of big processes to move. So I think that, that to me is as big an issue. But you're right about messaging. You know, I mean, you can't just talk about efficiency when now you should be talking about the cloud allows for a lot more data sharing across customers or at least data benchmarking across customers allows for a lot more machine learning with machines having a lot more data now across customers and so on. They are, I think some vendors are just afraid because of privacy requirements to even mention that. And unfortunately, it's, it's one of the biggest selling points of cloud. You know, we're gathering a lot of data. And, you know, that should allow us to do some really unique things that we couldn't do. You know, SAP, one of the challenges with S4HANA I bring out in the book is their partners are selling mostly private cloud or on-premise solutions. Exactly. And, you know, the problem is four or five years from now, SAP will say, oh, I have so many thousand S4 implementations but they would really be almost like ECC on a new S4 tables, right? They won't be able to really do any machine learning across them. They won't be able to do, you know, they certainly can do multi-tenancy across them and so on. So I think they may be missing out on some of the real benefits that cloud can deliver. So, you know, Tony, you're right. I mean, the industry is not doing a good job either delivering in our product or talking properly about it. Yeah, it's a herding mentality. You know, it's they, they follow each other, and, uh, and and on the buyer side, the I think the memory of the last implementation is still holding back number of buyers. True. And the other thing is, many of them just customize the heck out of their old ERP system, and they're worried that they will lose the customizations if the functionality in the new product isn't rich enough. Right. So, yeah, those are two things. And the third one being, look, I cannot get an entire process. I can only get, you know, certain elements of a process. Those are the three things that hold hold people back. Interesting dilemma. Um, I mean, if you look at where cloud is going and uh, where when I was still at unit four, one of the things was, you know, make it standard, you know, because if it's standard, you can you can keep the upgrades going. It doesn't break, but, but, but work on the configuration side. But that, that customization that has always been done in the past, just because we could, you know, that's, I mean, to get that away, uh, that, that will take many, many years. And it's, it's creating all kinds of uh, issues, not only for customers, but also for the vendors, of course, itself. And I'm not sure what, how that is going to change. I mean, at the end, if you want to run a company with an extreme level of customization, and you want to get into the cloud. Question is whether they can run 
at all. So it's. I, I think I think as an industry, you know, vendors have to start. I have a whole chapter on what SAP needs to do with its bystanders. Right? Yeah. I think the same thing Oracle needs to do, the same thing Info needs to do, the same thing Workday needs to do to target some of these bystanders in the on-premise customers. Many of them are kind of like happy with where they are. You know, Workday and Salesforce, because Wall Street is being generous to them, they obviously think they're doing fine. And yeah. I keep telling them, you'll just scratch the surface. There's so much more you can do. And, you know, SAP, Oracle, it just seems like, you know, their CFOs are like, well, you know, don't push the on-premise customers too much, so long as they keep sending the maintenance checks. Exactly. So, you know, they, they, they have to wake up and say, it's become urgent after 20 years. We, we really need to move these bystanders. Yeah. So, I mean, talking about your, your categories, you have bystanders, you've got diversifiers, you've got modernizers and risk takers. I mean, to me, if I, well, if I was looking at it, I, I see the, the model from, from more, uh, you know, crossing the chasm. The innovators, the early adopters, the, the early majority, and of course the laggards, the late majority. And I think that was also why why it was inspired. But can you can you explain why you chose those names and what you see in the SAP landscape that is well is changing right now? Well, um, it's funny you mentioned Jeffrey Moore. I did not even think of Jeffrey when I wrote those categories. What <laughs> I I did a number of case studies, right? So there yeah. are thirty five in the book. And I was looking to categorize them and then come up with the strategies they were using around SAP. And the risk takers are doing things like Leonardo Machine Learning, Leonardo IoT. Exactly. They're trying out S4 in the public cloud. They're trying out new functionality, on-premise functionality from SAP, like integrated business planning. You know, so these are early pilots, proof of concepts, clearly risk takers in that sense. The modernizers are those, a number of them are just moving from ECC to S4, but many of them are doing it on-premise. They're doing it with SAP GUI, you know, the old ugly user interface. And so I said, you know, they're not really risk takers. They're moving to S4 for various reasons, but they're, they're minimizing risk. Yeah. So I call them modernizers, right? The word suppliers is a category that comes from the book in 2014. Because I'd seen a number of customers do what's called ring fencing. So they were putting in Salesforce and CRM, Workday and HCM around, H around SAP. Or in some cases, they were doing two-tier ERP. So they were putting in Microsoft or NetSuite and subsidiaries or Plex and subsidiaries, keeping SAP at the headquarters. Yeah. So this time, I saw diversifiers, but some of them are going back to SAP, as a matter of fact. So that was kind of an interesting trend. They may have tried out yeah. Microsoft and they're going, okay, I'm going to go back to SAP can do it for me with business by design. Why don't I stick with SAP integration easier and so on. So that, that's, that's how the diversifier category came up. And then the bystanders were those that are really not doing much, just sending maintenance checks. So that's how kind of my, my categories relate more to what I saw in the case studies. Mm -hmm. if, it, if it looks like Jeffrey Moore, I guess I'm flattered. Uh, <laughs> well, at the end, it's of course, it, it all has to do with the urgency, which is also a comment you make. You say, I'm, many many customs in the book have a sense of urgency. And I find that lacking in, in its competitors. But that, lack, that, that, that urgency, what do, what do you see, for example, in the risk takers that 
what what type of urgency are they after and and what do they try to achieve with that you know so urgency is a relative term right well, mm-hmm. because i've been you know i've been writing my new florence blog for 15 years so i i get to see innovation sometimes four or five years before it becomes mainstream yeah so machine learning i've been seeing for five or six years from innovators the fact that sap has several here makes them risk takers in the sap world they're not necessarily risk takers compared to startups or compared to other companies that have been doing machine learning like google or amazon for much longer right but in the enterprise world they're definitely risk takers you know so i have an example of costco for example the executive who sponsored the machine learning uh, sap machine learning project there didn't even know about sap i mean he runs the the, um, the food division in costco you know the the, the, the food court yeah. their bakery division and so on and he had a optimization issue and he actually called his cio and said hey introduce me to mr watson he goes well, who's mr watson he says you know all these tv commercials uh, <laughs> you know watson Oh, the CIO said, you mean the IBM thing? No, 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 don't call IBM. We're already working with SAP. Call SAP. So that's how it started. Right? Yeah. And then SAP brought in their machine learning capabilities and did a pilot with him and really did a design session with him and so on. Yeah. So that's how that risk taker happened. He didn't even know about SAP and he took the risk with SAP. Yeah, you can look at it from two angles. You can look at it, okay, is it the risk to go with that vendor or is it the risk that you're taking him to be first to market? <laughs> right. Right, Regis, which is a packaging technology, they do packaging for a number of industries. The CIO told me, he says, no, we had already started an IoT project with Microsoft. And a few months into it, we were happy with Microsoft. SAP came along and they have SAP ERP. SAP came along and basically showed us their IoT capabilities and he switched from Microsoft to SAP. So again, he took a risk because Microsoft was working reasonably well for him but SAP promised him better integration and so on. You know, so to me, these are risk takers. There's a couple of other ones that went into S4 in the cloud. And they are, you know, I mean, very few of the early S4 implementation are in the public cloud. So they took a risk because they, honestly, everyone else is going on-premise or yeah, that's, that's fascinating to still hear that, that, that a lot are still going on-premise. <laughs> That is an unusual thing in the SAP world, and it's Absolutely. a SAP because their partners want to continue what they did under ECC. You know, they want to do the implementation, they want to do the hosting, they want to do the upgrades, they want to do the application management. So yeah. I think that is the risk for SAP that they're letting so many of them go on premise. That's true. Yeah, that's true. So yeah, I mean, at the very end of your uh, of your book, you're talking about go from sea to shining sea, and I think that's all about you know where should this go? What is the opportunity? And I'm not sure whether it was in that chapter or just the chapter before you're talking about tilting the bell curve. <laughs> but what should we do now from here? You know, who is on the right track? Is is SAP in a better position than an Oracle, a NetSuite, a Workday, or is it sort of you know? It may be the best of, of what you can get, but even though it's with all of that in mind, it, it's still behind. So, you know, the last two chapters of the book talk about one opportunity for SAP, and it's true of Oracle and, and Infor, is guys, you have too many customers who are not doing anything. 
Yeah. Moving moving them into your risk taker and modernizer cap categories is your first short term opportunity for the next few years. Yeah. Okay? True. And you know that's captive customers. It's yours to lose. But don't don't let them stay where they are. Start moving them. Okay. So that's the that's the one first opportunity for SAP. The second one, when you talk about C to shiny C, what happened was I looked at five years, but I also looked at 25, 20 years of enterprise technology. And if you, if you remember in 2000 and 2001, Oracle, SAP, most IBM, HP, most of these enterprise vendors had come out of the Y2K pretty pretty healthy, very healthy. True. Right? I mean, SAP went from a small German vendor to a global player in less than seven or eight years, yep. thanks to Y2K. And they were about to enter the whole EU common market opportunity. So they were in very strong position 20 years ago. Yeah. If you look at what they've done in the last 18 years, they have missed out in market after market. You know, Google did not exist. Facebook did not exist 18 years ago. Yeah, and between true. them, they've got about $150 billion in digital advertising. That market didn't exist 15 years ago. True. They, true. You know, SAP, Oracle could have got a piece of that. They did. If you look at product engineering, the whole concept of smart products didn't exist 15 years ago. True. Now our cars, our, every device has software, every device has chips and so on. These big vendors did not get the, get, get the money. It, it went to contract manufacturers like Foxconn and boutique design shops who helped create these new products, right? Is that, is it maybe because of, is it maybe because of you defining yourself too narrow? You know, we are SAP, we are Oracle, and, or Oracle may be the wrong example here, but we are an ERP vendor rather than... I, I would say so. I mean, Tom, when you look at it from a 20-year perspective, these guys have been very, very narrowly focused. Yeah. And it's, I, point, I point to eight markets they missed out. I talked about the first two. Then there are things like they missed out on the whole cloud infrastructure market. I mean, yeah. Amazon and Microsoft have started to dominate that market, right? Uh, if you look at the Internet of Things, Industry 4.0 started in Germany six, seven years ago. Correct. Right? SAP should have been all over it. It's starting to be now, but it missed out in the early phase. So there's many markets that they have missed out on. And even now they will say, well, you know, that's not us. We only do software or we only do enterprise back office. So for whatever reason, they're almost too focused. And, you know, I can't blame somebody when they're focused and they're generating results. Uh -huh. My job as an analyst, though, is to tell them, guys, there's a bigger market. That's <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, I see that a lot as well. I mean, and that's why, I'm, why I was making the point about are you defining yourself too narrow? I mean, if you're saying we are an ERP vendor, that's what you think you are and that's what you will continue to, to be after. But the moment you start thinking in what is the real problem you're solving for your customer, then ERP could be an element of that. But at some point in time, because of the shift, it, it, be, could, be, it could be a an element that is a, a, a much lesser priority because the market is moving somewhere else and you're just capable of moving with it. You know, there's a fantastic Harvard Business Review article. I think it was written almost 50 years ago. It's called mm -hmm. Marketing Marketing Myopia. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it talked about how the, the horse saw itself 
other horses as competition and the automobile came along yeah. and the planes come. I mean, the transportation market kept growing bigger and bigger and bigger. And if you just want to be, well, you know, if you want to sell, just sell horse buggies, right? That market won't go away, but it'll become smaller and smaller. All right, smaller and smaller, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So there's, there's a, absolutely a number of areas where you could start thinking, okay, uh, should that have been a market to jump into? But if yeah, you and that, 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 that to me is the second opportunity for SAP is to go back to many of these markets that it did not participate in the last 15 years. They're not dead. They are, there's always a second fast follower opportunity in most markets. So True, exactly. That's always be that's that can actually be a very good strategy if you want to. Another one, you know, given that you're in Europe, Europe has been a little bit late adopter of cloud, right? I mean, think about SAP if it put it in, if it put its mind to it and convinced European customers that the cloud is not something uh, unsafe or evil or whatever. They can they can I mean they are much more credible in Europe than a workday can be or a Salesforce can be. They That's could convert European customers into cloud adopters. So I think there's many opportunities for us. In fact, too many opportunities for SAP in the second wave. Yeah. Well, talking about too many opportunities, if you would have to make a choice, and, and if you stick to, to rethinking ERP, what would be kind of the, the, the top three things that, that, well, any reputable vendor should be putting its time right now? My top three would be don't just modernize the technology, which many of them have been doing. True. Modernize the business processes, right? I mean, it's amazing how when you invite vendors to say, I want to create a modern shop floor, they still, the processes still don't support robotics or 3D printing or sensors on the floor or True. workers with wearables and so on. I mean, the, the, the business processes are eight, 10 years old in many cases. So that's the first thing I would do. Yeah. Second thing I would do is verticalize, right? I mean, ERP is not just for the manufacturing sector. It's been used by utilities. It's been used by retail. It's been used by insurance. It's been used yeah. by what is wrong in offering claims processing or retail merchandising or insurance billing, or insure, or utility asset management, and so on. Those industries are screaming for cloud and in-memory solutions for that. True. The others are not not delivering that. Okay, that's the second one. The third one I would say is get your systems integrators to to apply machine learning and automation to their own business. It's amazing how many systems integrators still sell bodies when. You know, we've learned over the last 30 years, we've done millions of ERP projects and millions of CRM projects. Why aren't we training our machines to do configuration? True. And, you know, why aren't we doing automated data conversion? There's so much automation opportunity. The integrators aren't doing it. Well, if they're not doing it, maybe the software vendors should step up and say, I will do it. Customers, you don't have to pay for so many bodies, right? I think that, is, that, that could be a huge, huge value add, and it would accelerate a lot of selling for the ERP vendors. Well, primarily because it becomes a much more, much more attractive offering for any customer that's currently in the, in the, the bystander's corner. 
Well, it, 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 not only will it make it more economical, it'll also make it less risky, right? I mean, the last wave of ERP projects, the rate of failure is scary. True. We can't afford Actually, that holds back a number of bystanders. The experience, the muscle memory from the previous implementation, how painful it was. Yeah. They just don't want to do it again. They're like, you know, why would I want to sign up for another three, four, five years of so much pain and chaos? True. A couple of examples come to mind. And it's, uh, it's not fun. It's absolutely not fun. <laughs> <laughs> We've got to make, you know, you know it's like, you know, when you go to buy a new car these days, there's so much new technology, there's so much new features, you know, new car smell, the sound of a car is different. You know, you close the door and it sounds nice, right? There's yeah. a lot of features. I mean, they make it, you've got to make it attractive for people to sign up. And yeah, that's true. I mean, the, the, when go, go in and talk about, oh, you're going to get a better user interface. That's not going to be enough. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Now, well, that was actually... A, at the very end of your book, you made a good point, like earn a customer's business every single month, which is actually, I wrote a blog about it, I think last week about, you know, you think you, you do a good job for your customers, but at the end, you're just holding them hostage. And one of the things that I see, for example, is, okay, you have to sign a contract for three years. We bill you annually. So there's nothing software as a service here. The moment you switch, you shift that and you have the guts and you have the courage to say, I'm doing the invoicing on a monthly basis and you can decide every single month whether you want more or less. That's, that's where think we'll, things will, uh, will move to completely different standards. True. <laughs> yeah, but to me, to me, the big excitement is what you are starting to write about, right? You're writing a lot about startups that are doing machine learning and so on. Yeah. Can you? Imagine the enterprise. Unfortunately, a lot of the machine learning that is showing up in ERP vendors is machine learning that Amazon and Google have done with image recognition and voice recognition and so on. Mm -hmm. To me, the big, big, big payback will come when we can take enterprise data, right? So data on different metrics, time, time that customers are taking to pay, productivity, there's so much stuff that can be shared across customers to benchmark and so on. To me, that is a, going to be the huge opportunity if we can ever get there. And then to train machines to say, okay, you know, inform us when we are off policy or off yep. benchmark and so on, so we can rectify things much quicker than, you know, two months later, somebody does a report and says, Oh my God, we're behind here, or we're not doing as well here, and so why on. Is it, why is it churn so high? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, this, I mean, it's combining. I mean, that, that's I think one of the smart things that SAP recently did with Qualtrics, kind yeah. of combining that that's kind of where they are, master and hero, the operational side, operational data, together with the experience side. I mean, yeah, it's the, I, I have a chapter called X's and O's. Yeah. Um, that, that's SAP is actually branding it that way, where they have the O, the operational data, and Qualtrics has the X, the experiential data. Because I, I turned that and said, you know, X's and O's is also something football coaches use, so SAP needs to have better game plan. And then my editor added, he says, you know, X's and O's is also lovey-dovey to customers. So 
<laughs> it is. <laughs> so, so I mean, yeah, I mean, we're running, we're running uh, towards uh, the bottom of the hour. And what would be your, I mean, you you just already shared some of your advice in terms of what vendors should do different. Is there anything that customers should do different? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, I'm I'm telling more and more customers to read my book, not 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 with all the you know, suggestions and criticisms and so on, but more. Just read the 250 pages that the 35 customers described because yeah. I want them to get, feel comfortable that their, their, their peers are doing things that are very different and SAP has products that they don't even know about. That's right? true. So I'm, I'm telling them to read more with an open mind what, you know, what, what the case study is saying. And by the way, I offer to different customers like a two or three day offside where I can help them walk through different strategies and also look at how their talent may match to coming to next generation products. Yeah. You know, we may have too many people who know ABAP, who know bases, and we're moving to a world where SAP has so much open source and Kubernetes and in the infrastructure and has much more Python and, you know, machine learning capabilities in the in in the portfolio so sure. customers need to look at the new products but they also need to look internally and say is my talent going to match to this how should i plan to you know get to the next level yeah very much yeah it's an education base i mean uh, or an education game all the podcasts that i've been doing i mean there's now what is it 60 uh, live they're all about things that are happening in the space that we know in a way that we don't know it and it's it's mind blowing, and it's actually happening. You know, these things are being deployed. Customers are live, and they take huge shifts in terms of competitive advances and so on. So, and the problem at the end with machine learning and AI is it's it's not a small leap that you get. You just get behind if you if you don't jump on the bus. Well, I think I think labor is going to be a major issue. I mean, you know, you see that with the restructuring SAP has just announced, and you know, there's all already emotional outcry. Yeah. And so, you know, if you if you want to move to the next level, you have to start giving up on things like ABAP and start, you know, moving to a very different set of skill sets. And that doesn't mean ABAP, doesn't mean ABAP will go away. It's just very few customers are going to start a new net new development with ABAP, right? So hopefully not. <laughs> well, you know, I mean. If you're an ABAP developer, you keep hoping that'll happen, right? Human beings don't like change. So I understand that. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah, and I mean, and I'm, and talking about the, uh, the examples that I've got on my podcast, it's not about the, the typical AI examples whereby you're automating people out of a job. It's actually the ones where we actually help people to, be, to become a better version of themselves, uh, to let them do things that, that people believed were impossible a couple of years ago. And, you know, Tony, you make a great point. In my last book, which was about automation, yeah, I had examples of what I call super workers. Yeah. Right? So UPS with their telematics, some of their drivers will drive a million miles without an accident. I mean, there is no way you can do that as a human being without automation helping you, right? I mean, I had many examples of what I call super workers. And the same thing needs to happen in technology. You know, our, our developer productivity our process productivity needs to dramatically improve. Yeah, it's not about it's not about replacing humans, it's making them into super workers. 
Exactly. Yeah. And it's, uh, it requires a different mindset. And the problem at the end is also in the ERP world and talking, going back to that final, final time is that, you know, we've, we, we are, we keep looking at the processes that we've always been automating and it's just another user interface. And if we think about AI, it's like a very small thing that might look cool, but at the end, it's also going to give you a minor impact. If you, if you take a step back from that, and I think you call that not about modernize the, the functionality, but modernize the process, you know, really start challenging why you're doing certain things in a certain way, then, then you can make shifts happen. And that's, I think, where uh, we need to do some waking up here. But thank you very much for your anecdotes and your uh, and sharing the story about what you uh, what you've been going through in in writing the book todd anytime you know maybe we can do maybe we can do one in a year and see if the market has started to move exactly well that's uh, that's exactly my plan <laughs> it needs to move More it needs time. to move yeah. Yeah, exactly so thank you very much and for everybody listening today thank you for tuning into this podcast i had the honor to speak to vinnie merchandani author of sap nation 3.0 The goal of this podcast is to share compelling ideas and showcases to inspire what can be when technology and people blend in the right way. It's my strong belief that too much focus is put on automating people out of a process, in other words, cutting costs, rather than scenarios where the unique strength of people are augmented with technology to change the established rules and to deliver a value that was unimaginable before. So with this podcast, I want to make a contribution to change this to create a broader awareness of what can be, to accelerate the adoption by bringing together you, a tribe of like-minded people and organizations, and lastly, to accelerate the initiatives and solutions that could be created because one idea inspires the other. So if you know about stories that are worth sharing, please send me a message. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas, and that starts with you. If you want to have more information, read my blogs, or obtain information on working with me, just visit me on my website, valueinspiration.com. Thank you for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast or provide me with your feedback. I'll see you shortly in a new episode. That's what... Ransomware is all about. It's psychological pressure. Ransomware. When your computer's hacked into and your data held ransom. Attacks are on the rise and Russian gangs are making billions of dollars. The moment I got that message, I knew our greatest fears that we ever have are starting to come true. The post-Cold War era is over. Dot com, the hacking. A new season from Crowd Network with me, Katie Puckrick. Just search for dot com, that's D-O-T-C-O-M, and subscribe.